I'm Latavia, the youngest, the baby. Teeny weeny. That's the sassy one. Yes. And I'm Beyonce, and I'm the second youngest. She's a serious one. She's like, you know, the overseer of it all. <laughs> and I'm Kelly. I'm the sensitive one. Miss Emotional. <laughs> it's the early 90s, and Beyonce and the other members of her group have an upcoming audition for a major label. They've just suffered a defeat on a national TV competition. They've lost members, producers, and managers. They're starting over. I guess they were around 12, 12, 13. Girls Time's time was up, and a new group was emerging. That group, now a four-piece, is on a stage in Houston performing in front of people from Columbia Records. Beyonce and the other girls are singing the song they regretted not performing on Star Search, Sunshine. Beyonce's father, Matthew, is there. He's now officially co-managing with longtime manager and financial backer and the group's resident den mother-in-chief, Ann Tillman. This was a big chance for them, and Matthew tried to make sure they were in peak form for this big audition. And I remember the night before telling them, because we had a pool in our backyard, hey, hey guys, this is really important tomorrow. I told them not to go swimming. You're going to get all stopped up in congestion, and and Beyonce always was congested. And I said, you're not going to do your best. So sure enough, they audition the next day, and in the middle of the audition, I stopped it. I don't really care if Teresa's here. See the price you're paying for going swimming the other day? He felt the girls weren't performing at their best and shuts the whole thing down. The girls stand there, not moving. They look mortified, shamed. And I say to the executive, I apologize that they came all the way down from New York. But these girls, they're not ready. They're too young. They can't hit that song today. They can't do it today? No, of course. They're not ready. And I apologize for you coming down here. You might are beginning to get a sense of my personality. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making Beyonce. I'm Jill Hopkins. Episode 3, Destiny Begins. At this point, Matthew was all in. The Knowles family was all in. Up till now, Matthew had been a successful salesman in the medical equipment field with a six-figure income. But he'd lost his drive. Well, I had been in in corporate America 20 years, and I I called my wife and I said, I can't do this anymore. This is not what I'm passionate about. Now his passion was the group, his daughter Beyonce's group. Matthew was still new to the music industry game, but he was serious about learning the business. I went back to school, Houston Community College, and I took three courses. I went to every seminar that I could get to. I asked every question I could before they would tell me to shut up and let some other people in the room ask questions. He and his wife, Tina, began pouring money and resources into making this dream a reality. So we had a vocal coach. We had a choreographer. I did media training. 
I did the fitness part of it. And with Matthew's corporate background, he brought along some of the business strategies he learned at Xerox. They were uh, the best of the best of developing teamwork, developing sales and marketing strategies, and developing brands. So with a new management structure in place and half of girls' time gone, they needed to find just the right singer. They started holding auditions. It took a minute, but they found the missing piece to their group, Latoya Luckett. So she tried out. <laughs> She had on a silver little maid just looking so Oh, oh no, 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 big old hair. Big, big hair. And she tried out, and she was just so little and so cute. So, so precious. But she fit right on it, and we've been together since, just sisters. The group that would eventually become known as Destiny's Child had found their fourth member in LaToya, someone who could live up to the caliber of the other three, Beyonce, Kelly, and Latavia. While Matthew was quickly learning the ropes of the business, he also knew where he needed help. And the first step towards getting a record deal was getting the right producer. And they found that in Daryl Simmons. Daryl had been a partner and producer with two of the biggest names in R&B and hip-hop at the time, L.A. Reid and Kenneth Babyface Edmonds. And he was just what the group needed, a professional producer with a golden resume and solid connections. And Daryl was instantly impressed with the girls. Well, the first thing that struck me was their work ethic. And I'm all about hard work. And I noticed these kids just worked really hard. You know, you could tell the routines were tight. And I'm going, geez, these little kids are, you know, you got to remember, they're like, at this time, 13. And so I'm going, they seem to want it. They seem hungry. You know, it was obvious that Beyonce was a star, and, and she sang so good at a young age. I said, if I'm going to do this, it's got to be great. You know, I can't have mediocre. I fell in love with the girls because they were just so cute, so fun, stupid, silly, you name it. And the goofiest one was Beyonce, of course, the goofiest goofball ever. And she's still a little goofy. As a producer, Daryl's job was to get them signed. That meant honing their craft, working on their image, and also helping this newly formed group find the right name. I came up with the name The Dolls because they they were so cute. They looked like little dolls to me. You know, Miss Tina did their hair. They all had this curly hair. And um, I don't think anybody really liked it. But even before that, I wanted to name the group Beyonce. That was my first choice because I thought it was a beautiful name. And, you know, back then in the 80s, you had Van Halen, you had Dokken. So people were using their names. And I was trying to convince Matthew to name the group Beyonce. He goes, Daryl, he said, those parents will kill me. He said, I can't name the group Beyonce. I said, okay, Matthew, you know what? I agree with you. So we settled in on the dolls. It wasn't just Beyonce's name that appealed to Daryl. In his eyes, she was the core. The way that we work is we work like a carpenter. 
I'm going to use the best tool in my toolkit to get this job done. So the best tool in that toolkit was Beyonce. And I said, you got to have Beyonce go sing this part. Beyonce needs to sing the backgrounds. Beyonce needs to do this because everybody else, they weren't up to par to where she was. You know, it was obvious to me that Beyonce was clearly head and shoulders above everybody else. You know, Kelly had potential. Like I said, she was hit and miss back then. She was very timid, didn't sing with confidence. And I mean, Beyonce would go in there, Kelly, sing it like this. Daryl, just let her try it one more time. Okay, Kelly, try it like this. I'm like, Beyonce, go sing it. (laughs) You know, I got to get this done. Go sing it. She was very supportive and she would want them to sing the part. And that's what I loved about her was she was so supportive of the other girls, knowing that they weren't all the way there, but she was in their corner. She would fight for them to say, hey, you know, she can do it. The girls connected with Daryl and they all worked well together, but it just seemed like a rinse and repeat of what they'd been through before. Just part of the grind. Daryl put on a big showcase, dropped a lot of cash for it. Only this time, barely anyone showed up. But that didn't stop Daryl. He knew people, powerful people, and lots of them. Clive Davis, Sean Puffy Combs, and Daryl's longtime partner and childhood friend, Babyface. And the response he got back was heartbreaking. When he pitched them directly to Clive Davis... He didn't feel it. Didn't like it. Didn't like him. With the failed showcase, Daryl called someone he thought would get it. Finally, he reached out to the head of Electra Records, Sylvia Roan. She said, I'll fly down and see him. I said, really? She goes, yeah, I'll come see him. And she flew down immediately, and she loved them immediately. They auditioned, did like three songs. She goes, I love it. She goes, I want to sign you guys. And they were like, great. It was that easy. It was that quick. But as had been the case so far, things weren't quite that easy or quick. And this record signing, it was short-lived. Matthew was still a newbie to the music industry, and Daryl, a seasoned vet, had his attention divided with other acts. They hit a roadblock with each other. They have different accounts of what transpired next. To sign a record contract, it takes a good 60 to 90 days. And Matthew was really impatient. Nothing's happening. How come nothing's happening? He was calling me every day, calling Sylvia every day, calling the record company every day. Daryl had three other acts on his label. He was working with who's who in the music industry, making number one records. He didn't have a time for his own artists. And that's the truth. We really should have laid down our gauntlets and said, hey, man, okay, what's going to take to make this thing happen? Let's let's do this thing together. The confusion and infighting between Matthew and Daryl got to be too much, and Electra pulled out of the deal. This was not the ending anyone wanted. To have the brass ring so close, only to have it slip through their fingers. And it hurt me to let them go. It really hurt me. I mean, I was hurt. The girls cried. I remember they came by the studio. I talked to them. And I said, don't worry. You're going to get signed. Don't worry about it. You will get signed. I said, me and Matthew, we do not see eye to eye. You guys will be fine. After the Electra deal fell through, Matthew just kept right on moving. 
Fresh off of getting dropped by Elektra and parting ways with Daryl Simmons, the girl's string of false starts and broken dreams was about to end. They found the producer that was going to get them there. My name is Dwayne Patrice Wiggins, and I'm an Aquarius, and I'm a guitar player for Tony, Tony, Tony. Dwayne Wiggins had achieved an incredible amount of success. His group, Tony, 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 were multi-platinum Grammy nominees, and Dwayne was looking for new acts to produce. Dwayne got down to business right away. He flew the girls out to his studios in Oakland. And they all, you know, they had their own flavor. Kelly was the round-the-way sister girl, everybody's sister. Just the pleasant personality, that southern drone and her voice, everything, you know. Kelly would handle the mic like it was crazy, you know, humbly, too, you know, just, you know, but still focused, hella focused. Beyonce, focused as hell. Still, you got to be crazy to be in this business. She a little crazy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> looking at some of the faces she doing. What she's probably seeing is so way out there, and we're probably still running behind. Like, that's hot, but she's, like, way over there. I got to catch up, keep up, you know what I mean? So I would look at Beyonce standing behind the board while I'm playing a song, and she'd be back there throwing her hair. Almost doing cartwheels or something, and I stopped the track like... You know your ass crazy, right? You know you're crazy. And when I look back at it, I know that all that time she saw it like, no, I'm taking it there. That amount of focus that she had and that amount of vision and shoot heart. She just got major heart. You got to have that. It's really rare when you find somebody that knows what they want and then knows how to hit the mark. Put them all together. and It was a beautiful blend. Dwayne records a new demo with the group, and Matthew knows just who to send it to. Teresa Lababiora-White. She's the woman who first noticed them years earlier when she was a talent scout for Columbia. She was at the audition that Matthew shut down because he felt the girls weren't ready. Teresa was now doing A&R for the label, and it brought the girls to New York for a second shot with Columbia. Beyonce, Kelly, Latavia, and Latoya all a few years older than their first failed audition with them, were ready. Matthew was ready. They'd elevated their game. They were smarter, sharper, and more driven than ever before. They were ready to nail this. There'd be no swimming the night before this audition. Again, Dwayne Wiggins. Oh yeah, that was at Sony office in New York. I remember sitting down there in the limo right before I went upstairs, like, you know, going upstairs, it's about to be this, about to be that. And then they came in one way and I came in another way. And I walked in the room and everybody's sitting there and it went down right there. Four stools, the girls sitting there and everybody from the label coming down there. I think Tommy Matola to all those type of people. And I'm sitting back and it's just my first time seeing them get down and, you know, like with the crowd in front of them. But they walked out and got on those stools and just started singing and blew the crowd away. And I remember, I, I can't remember if it was Tommy or whoever turned around and said, hey man, I like your group. And I looked at them in my eyes, I was like, damn, that's my group. Oh my God. 
I mean, I just had, whoa, a feeling that came over me. Because like, I've been to the table with a lot of labels before. And that deal came. And it's really a trip because I've done some things that, man, it was damn near like pulling teeth in the whole bit. And this was smooth as hell. But when I walked out of that room, it, it turned up. And the commitment was in. It was official. The girls were signed to Columbia Records. Up next, this time, it's for real. I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is Making Beyonce. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. So after Girls' Time, these are all the names of the group. Girls' Time became something fresh. Something fresh became the dolls. The dolls became cliché. Cliché became destiny. And destiny became Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child finally had the record deal they'd been working so hard for. But the work was just beginning. Now they needed songs. More specifically, they needed a hit. And they found one from an unlikely source. I had put together this demo track and I had laid the hook down. I was excited for a brief second, but then I started to think to myself, wait a minute, there's there's only one note in this song. I'm like, that can't ever work. I'm like, even a song like Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star has notes. And after I did it, I'm like, this is, this is garbage. Like, nobody's nobody even listen to this thing. That's Rob Fusari. He'd go on to write some massive tracks, including ones for Will Smith and Lady Gaga. But this was truly his first break, and it came at a very low point for him. This is going on, you know, a good five, six years, just, you know, constantly hitting it and trying to get something going, but I couldn't get anything going. He was days away from sacking his dreams and facing reality when a chance encounter literally came knocking on his front door. A friend of Rob's dropped by, and he was with a guy named Vince. Vince is Vince Herbert, an in-demand producer who had worked with people like Tony Braxton and Aaliyah. And then he and then he popped the question, so to speak. He said, what are you working on? And I told him I had just, you know, well, I got, you know, this is just a song that I, I was just going through my my hard drive. And I'm like, I don't really think he's like, he's like, play it. Let me just let me hear. Let me hear, you know, some of what you do. Rob played him the track he'd been working on. And Vince, he heard something Rob hadn't. 
he heard about 30 seconds and um, he, he just hit the ceiling. He's like, he's like, that's a hit song. I'm like, it is? As they say, one man's garbage is another's first billboard hit. So Vince asks for a copy of the song, you know, cassette. And he, he proceeds to tell me about a new group that Columbia had just signed about these four girls. And I mean, it's, it's hazy because I'm half listening at this point. That song would become No, 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 the first success for Destiny's Child. A day or two later, Rob gets a call. It's Vince again. He's like, I played No, No, No for the A&R person who's doing the Destiny's Child project, and he told me her name, Teresa Weitz, and he said it's going to be their first single. I'm like, how does that make any sense? Rob spent the next 24 hours finishing up the song and getting some help from Vince on the verses and melody. Suddenly, Rob found himself in the studio with Destiny's Child, and he's in the producer's chair, a place in his five years of attempting to break into the music industry he'd never sat. He'd tracked the backing vocals one by one. Kelly, then Latavia, then Latoya. Then in walks Beyonce. And then, once again, everything changed. It was like, oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. It was just, oh, no, wait. It was a stop the presses moment. We weren't even on leads yet. Forget the leads. Forget the leads. I, I knew, I knew, I knew as soon as I heard... You know, Beyonce saying just the no, no, no part. You know, I, I'm like, I want that girl to sing everything. So then she starts adding her, 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 her Beyonce thing to it. It was this moment of, uh, I didn't, I didn't know that this existed. I, I, I never knew. I never knew, like, an artist could take what you do and twist it and turn it in such a way that makes it so much grander and so much more. And, like, it, it, there's these moments, and they're so rare that I can name all of them on one hand, that you hear this, like, oh, my God moment. At the time they were recording the album... Beyonce reflected on the sounds they were trying to capture. We trying to like bring the music back to the way it was, cause it was just tight. We're trying to start a whole new era in music. That retro 70s type thing. Right. Tell me what I Over at Columbia. Stephanie Gale is the product manager for the group. In that role, she's overseeing the entire project and the gravitation towards the past, that retro-type music for their inspiration, has her worried about Destiny's Child finding a young audience and limiting their potential growth. There came a time when I realized that all these beautiful notes that would come out of their mouths and that, that I love so much all got 
put into these super ballads. Like they were really young ladies singing songs that honestly could have been coming from Whitney Houston or someone. It was just like all these ballads. And that was a little strange to me just because it was sometimes just seeing them and all their youth. I just thought, wow, is this all they will do? Or is this all they can do, to be honest? So Stephanie is concerned that no one is going to buy an album from young girls sounding like a group out of the past. But an encounter at her office in New York presents a solution. Matthew Knowles, Beyonce's dad, came to New York a lot. And when he was there, he was in the building a lot. And he had a lot of input. You know, Matthew's the kind of person that if he wants something, he's going to push for it. And one day, I believe he just happened to be up at the office and Wyclef was there. She's talking about Wyclef Jean, a member of the legendary hip-hop group The Fugees. And at this time, he was making his name as a solo artist and producer. And when I passed Matthew in the in the hall at one point, he goes, jokingly, he says, you know, you should ask Wyclef to do a song for us. And I'd spent a lot of time talking to Matthew about how I felt about the ladies and their marvelous voices making all these ballads. And I really wanted to see them do some younger more up-tempo things. So he was like, but you should have Wyclef do a song. And I kind of laughed it off. But in hindsight, you know, I really thought, yeah, I really should. She hit up Wyclef to see if he'd do a remix of No, No, No. And I said, I I think I need you, you know, on this project. And he said, well, you know, let let me hear them. She set up a private audition. I introduced everyone. And I said, this is Wyclef. This is Destiny's Child. And, you know, please sing something for him. And they sang, I believe, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. As only they can. You know, the little. How sweet. How, how sweet, sweet. The sound. The sound. sound. And he didn't say much. He smiles like, okay, not his head. And we walked out. And as soon as I shut the door, he says, I, ha- I got you. Was This is the remix. The Jeeps pump this new remix. Uh-huh. This is the remix. Radios played it. They came up with the music and they played it. And of course, this is just a remix, right, to a song that they already have. But the tempo is so different and so fast. I know even when they play it to me, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what the ladies are going to think of this. I wonder how they're going to be able to work with that. And honestly, as soon as Beyonce just went to the mic, she just rolled that out basically like you hear it today, which was crazy because she was almost rapping. Now they had two singles, No, 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 Part 1, and the new Wyclef remix, No, 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 Part 2. Matthew, drawing on his background in corporate sales, had a plan to maximize this moment. I went to BDS, which is Broadcast Data System, which monitors every time there's airplay. And I said to him, I said, look, we have a song, no, 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 the lyrics are the same, 
but the tempo is different. One is up-tempo, one is a ballad. If you played that song at radio, and we named it part one, part two, could it count as one song? They said, we don't see, uh, why, why not? Yeah. We were able to group the airplay of them together, which made it a number one single. So that was one of the many, but one of the reasons why that song did so good is because we had a part one, part two version. The second thing is it was unheard of putting a remix on the album. They thought I was crazy at Columbia Records when I said we wanted to put the remix on the album. But we did things different. And then all of a sudden, I was not a father anymore at Columbia Records. I was a genius. On November 11th, 1997, both versions of No, No, No were released. Beyonce and Destiny's Child officially had a major label debut. The song reached the charts. It hit number one on the Billboard R&B charts and broke into the top five of the Hot 100. All the work, all the showcases, all the money was starting to pay off. Beyonce and the other girls proved they had the talent and the drive to make it in the industry. And Matthew showed that he had the smarts and the instinct to help get the whole project over the finish line. While No, No, No was a certified hit, there are other ways to measure success, especially to a teenage girl. The first realization of success of that was actually the day in a car that they heard the song on the radio. I think that was the biggest explosion from them than anything. Beyonce also remembers that moment. I remember the first time my song played on the radio. We were all together. It was like, ah! And we were just jumping up and down, and it was beautiful. They ran around the car. They were singing along to their own song on the radio. And said, hey, it's us, it's us. <laughs> I was so excited. Songwriter Rob Fusari also remembers being in a car the first time he heard the song on the radio. And it was Wyclef's version. The song sounded so different from the one he'd written in his mom's basement in New Jersey. It took a minute to sink in. It was his first hit song on the radio, too, but not exactly how he remembered it. So honestly, my first thought was when I heard it, I'm like, it just feels like this jagged, like, you know, it sounded like they threw it together in like in five minutes. But you know what? It hit a chord, man. It hit, it, it hit something that was missing in music at that point. But you know, needless to say, this was Destiny's Child and Beyonce being born. It was this wasn't even Destiny's Child. This was this was like the birth, the the real birth of Beyonce. The birth of Beyonce. Beyonce Knowles, the person was born on September 4th, 1981. Beyonce, the pop star, was born in that song. From the very beginning, P. 
people saw something special in Beyonce that set her apart. And here, it all came together to create a sound, a feeling that the world hadn't experienced before. Daddy. Yes, Beyonce? Let's have a race. You're going to have a race? Uh-huh. Okay. Once a shy child racing through the park in Houston's third ward with her family, now an ecstatic teen running around her car, shouting out the words to her group's first hit song. All of this a prelude to the unimaginable future still ahead. All right, get on the march, get set, go. My plans for the future, I do plan on producing, and I plan on, in the future, hopefully getting my own record company and my own production company and uh, managing like my dad. Years later, she'd do just that. And the name of her company? Parkwood. Named after the street she grew up on. Near the park where she began that race. Beyonce Knowles Carter's rise to the top of the charts wasn't the finish line. She just left the starting blocks. Fast on her way to becoming a superstar. An icon. A legend. Making Beyoncé is a production of WBEZ Chicago. I'm Jill Hopkins. The senior producer is Joe Dassault. The executive producer is Brendan Banizak, and the managing director is Kevin Dawson. Our engineer is Shelley Steffens. Production help from Jen White, Meha Ahmad, and Justin Bull. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed the Making Beyoncé podcast. And if you did enjoy, tell a friend. Put it on in the car when somebody passes you the ox cord. Take it to your next Beyoncé fan club meeting. When you're sharing it with folks, be sure to use the hashtag MakingBeyoncé and go ahead and tag B in it. Let the people know. Who knows, maybe if enough people get talking, she'll get to talking to us. And while you're subscribing to this podcast, subscribe to everything that WBEZ Podcast does. See what else you might like. We've got something for everybody, especially you. 